You're listening to the Library Pros Podcast with Chris and Bob, a techie librarian and a computer IT guy discussing libraries, technology, and all things this side of the reference desk. Hi, and welcome to a very special episode of the Library Pros Podcast. I'm Chris, and Bob will be joining us in a few minutes. Uh, We are at the Long Island Library Resources Council Conference on Libraries and the Future. It's their 30th conference, and this is our seventh year participating interviewing great guests and guest speakers from all over. So today we're hopefully going to have Stacy Aldrich, who is a state librarian for the state of Hawaii, and Brandy McNeil, the director of adult services at the New York Public Library, and Miguel Figueroa, president and CEO of Amigos Library Services. So we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we are going to jump into the episode. Okay, we are back, and we have Miguel Figueroa, President and CEO of Amigos Library Services in Chicago. He's previously served as the Director of ALA's Center for the Future of Libraries and held roles at the American Theological Library Association, the New York University Medical Center, and the Neil Schumann Publishers. The Neil Schumann – good job, Chris. Neil Schumann Publishers. (laughs) Can you tell I can't read? He's a graduate of the University of Arizona's Knowledge River Program and initiative that an initiative that I can't read. This is terrible. An initiative that examines library issues from Hispanic and Native American perspectives. So Miguel just did a presentation here at the Lurick Conference, and I'm just beaming. We were just yapping back and forth before we plunked down the the mics, and there's so many things that he talked about that just resonated with Bob and I. So Miguel, you want to just give us like a quick overview of what you were talking about because I can't do it justice. Oh well, thank you. Um, I thought that I got sort of the boring assignment. I was like, oh, this is how you think about the future. I don't know. Uh, I kind of started out by saying, I think the future is a very loaded term uh, in society and even in our profession. And I think part of it is just the weight of this moment, especially um, because we've had so many people who are uh, doing the fundamental work of keeping our doors and our, our systems open. And yet here we have this conference that's thinking about the future and there's the immediacy of the present. Um, but I think what I've kind of encountered and what I hope I shared through the presentation was that thinking about the future isn't about coming up with a prediction or report. I think it's really about creating cultures that are more inclusive, curious, and open to change. Um, and I hope that we can continue to think of that as the way for thinking about the future. Um, instead of putting this idea of what we need to, what we need is a new idea. Well, no, what we don't, that's not what we need. What we need is a better organization. We need a more equitable organization, organization that listens to people, an organization that's willing to take perspectives from lots of different places. Um, and so that was kind of hopefully what I talked about in between talking about, you know, collecting trends and changes, organizing things into forecasts, creating personal foresight and thinking about how you set your aspirations and your vision. Well, one, one of the things that is so incredibly hard in library land, and I, I apologize, library land, it's not a place where people who work in the industry love change. Um, it's something that it's, it's changing. It's not the way it was, but there's still, I want to call them the resistance because the second you pull out an iPad or something that, you know, you get librarians who roll their eyes and, and, in my career in the past, that has happened. It hasn't, it's not happening anymore. In terms of that next change or that next thing, I remember when we put a 3D printer out, I got eye rolls from the people who are now retired. Libraries are changing and 
it's it's not just tech stuff because I mean we could talk about ebooks till the cows come home or audio, you know e audio books or any of that other stuff and get into DRM and all that other crap. But just talking about and I mentioned before we plunk the mics down the the poster from Close Encounters of the Third Kind, whereas there's that peak the road coming mm-hmm. to a point in the future where the road and the and the horizon meet. And when you drive a car, you don't look at your bumper; you're always looking forward. So in terms of what we do at our library, and Bob, you do the same thing as well, you're always looking for the next thing, and you're always looking forward. And we talked in, in the presentation, you talked about doom scrolling versus actually, you know, seeing positive things. And you want to expand on that a little bit? And then maybe we can even talk a little bit about um, foresight and, and how you get the ideas to administration. Well, we get this question about change a lot. And the The thing that I would like to push on, though, is that we say we're a profession that's not very good at change, and we assume that that's a problem with the people who are receiving the change. And we rarely assume that it's a problem with the people who are delivering the change. And so futures thinking, I think, if done correctly, provides us with the runway to get people on board with the change much earlier. I think part of the resistance to change is because we introduce change out of nowhere. We introduce change like, hey, I know you've been doing this, you know, full time, but now I'm going to throw this curveball at you that I have not explained, that I haven't given you the understanding of why we're introducing this, and I want you to pick it up and be happy. And that's so. So again, with futures thinking, it's not just about how one individual pursues the future; it should be how a collective pursues the future. Have you invested time and given people the authority? to look broadly at changes. Have you talked with them about, hey, we've seen this over here and we've seen this in the community and our patron the other day asked about this and our partners over here are talking about this and help them align the constellations that say all of these are the indicators that here's the change that's going to come. And so as we align all those indicators, then we're going to talk together and we're going to say, okay, these things point to Maybe we need to pursue this. Oh, we have somebody over here who's going to critique that idea a little bit. Let's let them critique the idea. Let's let them refine the idea, and then we move a little bit further. Um, I I appreciate the, the focus on sort of the horizon, but if only one person is focused on the horizon and then introduces the change, it's going to be a very difficult change. Um, one of the quotes that I shared was Adrienne Marie Brown, you know, and she says, she talks not about an individual capacity for thinking about change or the future. She talks about a collective capacity. How do we as a community become more curious, more open to change, more inclusive? And how does that lead us to a better future? You know, and it does make a lot of sense because libraries, you know, there are libraries that just exist within the shell of their building. And then there are other libraries that reach out and reach out to the chambers of commerce and reach out to the local politicians and, and reach out to community members and business members and develop those relationships. And I think those libraries, and I'm making a broad generalization, don't shoot me, that, you know, the libraries that think in a more broad sense, develop the relationships with school districts and and with Mm -hmm. community groups, they tend to also embrace change just a little bit more because they're thinking outside the box and they're listening. Mm -hmm. And sometimes listening is the most important part of thinking about the future. And hopefully listening externally with their community, but also listening internally with their staff. Exactly. Yeah. Because you, if a yeah. staff member comes to you, comes to you, if you're an administrator and a staff member comes to you with an idea, you don't want to dismiss out of pocket. You know, you may want them to prove the concept and say, okay, go back and prove your concept. 
you know, tell me how we can do this. Give me a, give me a, a roundabout budget of what you think we need to spend. How do we do this? And then in terms of the pandemic, we all kind of said, uh oh, now what do we do? And now we've explored hybrid programming and we've made investments in cameras and lighting and all the things that librarians never really had to think about before. And even in terms of hiring outside programmers, whether or not they're comfortable in coming into the building and whether, you know, the people who you serve are, are you know, interested in coming into the building versus doing a hybrid model. So these are things that we had to think about when we were all shut down. Mm-hmm. Uh, Absolutely. So, and this is something that I felt there was this pressure when we were in, in shutdown. You know, I was sitting and we would have weekly meetings and I would have the head of this department was tell, telling everybody, we're doing this. And head of another department is doing that and kind of scattershotting things that they were doing. And I would say, we're planning on when we're reopening. So, yeah, we're doing some video stuff and, and all that, like what you guys are doing. But our main focus is what do we do? How does our mm-hmm. makerspace look, smell, taste when we reopen? And how do we reintroduce? How do we get back into it? How do we get back into real-time programming? How do we get back to the new normal? But when we came back, we had a plan. And we went mm-hmm. completely paperless. So we were dealing with like work orders and paperwork. And we, we came out leaner, meaner, and digital, completely digital. And I think for me, in my own head, it's a validation to say sometimes you don't have to show the work up front because when you, when you have that futurist idea and you want to move forward, you can actually make things happen if you take a second and pause and think. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that's hard to do. Mm-hmm. It's very hard to do, especially when you're on the fly, you're in, at work, and then you're at home, and you're dealing with the home and, and your family and things like that. Sometimes it's hard to just stop for a second, take a breath, and just think. And I think some of the stuff you were talking about with scanning and trend analysis and trend monitoring and scenarios and, and even polling with patrons of the community really does make a lot of sense. And it's not that not that bad an idea to at work maybe take an hour and lock yourself in a closet. Well, we're in a, we're in an information profession that values and recognizes the usefulness of research. That you know the next idea doesn't just come out of nowhere; it's the accumulation of knowledge. And yet, I think sometimes um, our expectations of staff members or our expectations of the entire organization are that the idea will come wholly formed. And, you know, we don't, we haven't documented where did we get this idea? What are our references? You know, what was the study that we did? And futuring in very, in, in a lot of ways is a, a research process. That's what it is. It's trend scanning. It's doing all of that type of thing. The thing that I'll say, you know, um, you brought up uh, the plan of reopening. And I will just say that I think COVID-19 and the pandemic have introduced a slight wrinkle in some of our, our approaches to futures thinking. Um, there was this great uh, 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 thing from Leah Zida. She did this COVID-19 reorganization scenario. Um, she works for this firm or runs a firm called Multiverse Designs. And she said that COVID-19 isn't like most um, events. It's sort of a revolt. It's when a small and uh, sort of fast moving thing are introduced into a system and forces us to release and kind of re-envision things. And so that's what I was reminded of when you said you you had to approach, you had to focus on reopening and you had to think about what you were going to do differently. Um, Zyda says that whether or not our systems go through the release period and reorganize depends on how much we want to remember. 
Um, and she doesn't necessarily mean remember in a positive way. She, re- she means remember in a negative way. She, re- she says, you know, we have this opportunity. Are we going to completely rebuild? Or are we just going to try and force ourselves back right to where we were? And so using that as an opportunity to rebuild is really different. Um, so I will just say that about the COVID moment. Um, this Everything else in futures thinking is kind of built on the idea of surveying the present, looking something to the past, and then coming up with something something new. A good portion of our COVID recovery is about thinking about what were we doing in the past that we don't that we should use this opportunity to rethink, and what are we just going back to by default. You, you had a great a great uh, great presentation, and um, you're very well spoken on the subject and and future planning and things like that. So, I mean, um, what Chris and I. We're talking about is exactly what he's doing at, at Sachem. So during the pandemic, um, him and his team had the opportunity to look at it as just that, an opportunity. You know, mm-hmm. so so we were forced in this position and we're shut down. What is our library defined as beyond our four walls? Um, and in many ways, we did it at Emma Clark as well. But I was impressed mostly with how the team at Sachem and Chris um, were able to kind of pivot and re-gear what they've done with the with the makers, not much more than a maker space, but the studio that they have at Sachem, mm-hmm. um, when they came back, I mean, they hit it harder than any library, um, you know, on Long Island, or I would say in New York State that I'm aware of, um, and did it right, and were able to offer even more services to the community that was now struggling for place, um, you know, on their own. What what were they going to expect from a library? What were they going to be able to use from a library when they're uh, internal home and and some some of their health was upside down, and um and they met the need and and in many ways you know so did we did it at McClark too but sorry the phone's going off of course you can edit that out Chris the phone ringing in the don't background worry. it gives on that's, that's why I don't have my camera on because there's Xerox guys <laughs> in and out moving printers around today so but um just you know focusing on that and ha- and how well Sachem um, rose to that to that task uh, was just amazing and. A lot of what you talked about today, Miguel, talks about um, using those um, opportunities as just that, opportunities. What I wondered was if you had any insight on how you can do some trend analysis and trend monitoring that you talked about in your slides beyond social media, because, I mean, everybody's kind of looking at, at that and good points and bad points. But a lot of libraries, I think, focus solely on social media and, and respond to what's being done there. Yeah. Uh, so I... And I think this goes back to one of the questions that was raised about sort of the doom scrolling and maybe to take some of that, uh, the emphasis out of that, perhaps it's just how do we avoid sort of the echo chamber that sometimes happens through social media or through any other area? Um, I tried to, and I, I shared a lot of resources. I'm a big fan of email newsletters. I like signing up for things that um, I don't really have any idea what they're about and kind of filter through them. Um I'm not a millennial or a Gen Z person, so I sign up to this newsletter called Y Pulse. It sends me news and insights on Gen Z and millennial uh, uh, populations. I have no idea what they're doing. Uh, so it's a really great learning experience in that way. I'll tell you one of the podcasts I listen to all the time is Woman's Hour from the, P- from the BBC, because I really don't, I mean, I'm a man. I don't really understand I don't often think from a a female perspective. And so it has challenged me to think in a different direction. I try to embrace or find uh, authentic voices and open myself to those conversations. Um, 
So I think it does take a certain amount of intentional practice, um, but you also kind of have to do a, an audit or an analysis of what are you listening to, who are you hearing from, what are you thinking about, and and break out of that. One of the this also just brings up one of the hardest things for I think any profession, not just the library profession, but so often we're focused on thinking about well, what's the future of libraries, and so we're only going to listen to pieces of information that mention library or that mention books or mention some other affiliated term. And those are not going to be the points. Those are not going to be the aha moments for us. The aha moments come from come from sources that have nothing to do or no mention of what we're doing. Um, and that's a really hard openness and curiosity to pursue. Um, so I think if you do that, you get out of the deliberate default of social media or something else and really try and curate a truly authentically diverse um, set of information for you to pursue. It's reading your population too. You know, it, just because it's not being done in the library world doesn't mean it can't be done. Just something is something that's happening here today. This evening we're doing a touch a truck program. That wasn't a thing five years ago. <laughs> no. I, I mean, it, I, I'm not going to lie. I think I'm coming back. I want to play with a fire truck. But <laughs> yeah, exactly right. So it's it's Absolutely. funny, but it's not because you're laughing because because Bob, you want to do it too. I mean, that, yep, that's right. You know, it's yeah. it's one of those things that you know. When you think outside the box, like in terms of what we do here with the Fall Festival and the Holiday Lights show that we do, no other library is doing that. And we're not doing it to be the first. We're doing it because we saw there was a crack somewhere and we wanted to fill that crack. Now, it wasn't a crack like a need of the community, but it's one of those, wouldn't it be cool if the library did this? And then this is the age-old marketing question. Do libraries hold on to the word library or do they conjoin it with community center or does the word library go away? And we've had people on this podcast that have spread the gamut to it's the best marketing tool ever because everybody knows what a library is, but there's a positive and a negative to that. And then there's people who are like, get rid of library. It's, it might as well be 1950s driving an Etzel. You know, it's time for a new name. It's time for rebranding. So I think there's really a struggle with regard to, identities of libraries and what they are doing now. And part of what, if you have futurists or people who are future minded on your staff, those are the people who should be listened to when it comes to ideas and spitballing, because nobody should have, the only person that should have the ultimate say is your board. Well, you want to think out of, outside the box, but you also need to recenter at some point. You have to figure out, okay, does it come back to where we are? Sometimes the slide that I put up in my presentations is from the Chicago Chop House. Um, Chicago is well known for their steakhouses. It's a very traditional approach to dining here in Chicago. And their Chicago Chop House had this sign outside that said, we serve steaks, not trends. And I think it was sort of a pushback against a movement in the dining scene here in Chicago that introduced all these sort of fancy ways to do a steakhouse and everything else. And the Chicago Chop House was like, at the end of the day, we're the Chicago Chop House. We're a steakhouse. We're going to do this. And I think that's kind of what libraries to a certain extent want to think as well is we don't serve the trends. We use the trends or changes to fulfill the mission and values that we have. So we can think outside the box, but if it doesn't come back and recenter to who we are, I think that's an indicator that we don't pursue it. it it's a tough thing, but I think it's something that we're well equipped to do because we are values-based. Um, we do have a mission and a purpose. It is well defined through our history. Um, not that it doesn't evolve at times, but 
we have a pretty good litmus test of what sticks and what doesn't, regardless of whether we're a library or community center or uh, whatever other thing we do. It, it makes a lot of sense because you, yes, you want to stretch and reach, but you don't want to reach outside of a a comfort zone, b uh, a zone that maybe not something that libraries should be doing, like you know hosting Oktoberfest. Um, although that would be fun, right? Huh. Uh, <laughs> you know, you know, you have to work within certain constraints, and you're right. You have to stay centered when you're doing this. You just can't be all over the place. Imagine if Michael Jordan, you know, was all over the place trying to slam dunk something, and he was hitting his head on the backboard. It just doesn't work. Did I just mention Michael Jordan? Am I showing how old I am now? I don't know what Jen, what, what Jen I am, but it's definitely not a twenty. You aged your, you aged yourself very quickly. I really did. That was bad. Uh, but in terms of, you're right. You have to stay centered because you can't lose your balance in your our core values and our core services which aren't going away and they're they're not being diminished they're just not the center anymore where the center seems to be shifting what is shifting mm-hmm. to that's the question in libraryland what are we shifting to yes our feet are firmly planted in books and maybe not so much dvds anymore that's that's part of the shift but you know our core values are the core things that we do we provide a safe space we provide great programming we're a community center where people can still come and study and find a nice place to sit, study in, in, a, in a quiet area. Uh, we provide copying services. We have reference services. We provide, you know, all kinds of materials. That's still the foundation, but sometimes you can put an extension on a foundation. And, and through what you do and what you introduce through your organization, you can broaden the circle. You can show people that, hey, we've expanded our articulation of that value or that purpose to embrace this new area. You know, um, to your note about Oktoberfest, hey, if, if you started to define your work as a means of having cultures come together and meet and learn from each other, and you decide to use Oktoberfest as an immersive cultural experience, maybe it is well-suited for the library. Um, but if you're just throwing it off just to throw another thing in the mix, then you're probably going to miss that circle. Yeah, exactly. It has to be purposeful in its in its deployment and its implementation. It just makes, it makes a lot of sense. So we really, really would love to sit and chat for another hour with you because you're literally you're right in our wheelhouse. But we, we, have, we to, have to have you back on. We have to sure. have you back yeah. on. Um, I put I put my contact info in the chat for you. Thanks. Yeah, because um, I think we have a lot more to talk about. And absolutely. Uh, and as I said at the start, I mean, I'm a big fan. I, I so enjoy hearing from the different people that you've uh, introduced on on the podcast. So it's always good. Uh, you know, think also of podcasting as part of the trend scanning. It's it's a great opportunity to bring lots of perspectives into us uh, instead of uh, just kind of weeding through and and hoping we hit on the right thing. Well, that was the reason why we started this because. It was 2014. I got an iPhone. I said, what's this podcasting stuff? And there were some great podcasts out there, but the audio quality wasn't great. There were some other podcasts out there that were right on, right on point with libraries, but it was just – it would put you to sleep. So the idea is that we would do something that would talk about libraries and technology and you know, kind of get some cool people out there, and we never thought we'd be podcasting all over the world. We thought we'd be <laughs> podcasting for five people in the county. And three of which would be my relatives. Uh, so in, in terms of podcasting, it's a great – another way for curation to find those great things. Absolutely. Whether you're listening to Library Land Loves up in Toronto or you're listening to Turbot and Duck down in Australia or any place in between. And I know all the podcasting people, Syosset and all the rest of you that I didn't mention your name. I'm sorry. 
Um, but th- there's flavors, <laughs> and in those flavors, you get a nugget. And in that nugget, yeah. that may be an inspiration for something that you add, refine, or enhance to what you're doing. So Absolutely. you're right. Podcasting is a great resource for that. And library podcasts, thank goodness, are really starting to, to trend and pick up. So, And thank you for being a Ooh. listener. Yeah, yeah, very much so. That's All great. right. So thanks for coming on. And definitely reach out to me because we want to have you back on again to, to sure. broaden the discussion a little bit more. Sounds yeah. good. Thank All you right. so very much. Very impressive, Miguel. Miguel. Take care. All right. Thank great you. Thank much. you. Right. See you back in the main room. Okay. Thanks.